Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. I hope 2020 is treating each of you well. On this episode, we were lucky enough to catch up with Ben Foremsky, the CEO of The Fly Fishing Show, on a rare week home in Colorado during the show season. We have a chance to talk about the history of The Fly Fishing Show, the changes he's made since he's taken over as CEO, and what he hopes to accomplish during his tenure, and what folks can expect from this season's shows. A few housekeeping items before we move on to the interview. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and please leave us a review in iTunes. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is tie better flies faster, and they produce the only vice that truly spins. To see for yourself, visit www.nor-vice.com, or even better, visit with them at any of the fly fishing shows this season. Now on to our interview. Well, welcome to the Articulate Fly, Ben. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. I always ask all of my guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much have been fishing as far as I can remember back. Uh, I have to say some of my earliest fishing memories are fishing some local farm ponds where I lived in Pennsylvania for bluegill and sunfish and largemouth bass. Um, I was using some spinning rods as well as push-button rods and uh, fly rods, all all the above, really. And I think that led to um, one of my favorite things is sight fishing. And and I used to walk around the flats there and look for bluegills on their reds and pick out the big ones and catch those and toss them back in and move on my way. Really neat. And I I know you you grew up in a fly fishing family you know, as a young adult, did you kind of move away from the industry and come back later in life, or did you kind of always stay around the sport? Well, I mean, staying around the sport versus it being an industry or maybe two different things a little bit. I, um, I obviously was busy in college and, you know, getting started with all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, that takes, takes up a lot of time. I was, playing sports and taking an awful lot of credits, too many credits, <laughs> and didn't have as much time as I would like. But uh, I went to college at Penn State, and you know, within a few miles of, of my apartment, I was able to get out and do some fly fishing. So I did some of that, and I'd fish in the summertime. Uh, and uh, you know, I've been involved in the industry pretty much the whole time in one way or another. Even through college, I, I commercially tied some flies. Great. And I know that, you know, the fly fishing show is just kind of one small part of the things you do in the industry. Can you share with our listeners some of the other things that you do? Well, currently, um, I pretty much work with the fly fishing show. I also own a online bookstore, the anglingbookstore.com, and I sell hunting and fishing books and DVDs and gifts. Uh, obviously, our specialty is fly fishing, but we do the whole whole gamut. And, um, you know, over the years, I've been a, a guide in both freshwater, saltwater. I've worked as a sales rep. I've des- I design uh, flies that are commercially contracted by several companies. I've written articles. I've got a book in the works. Um, worked in fly shops. And, uh, yeah, a variety of just, just about everything except being a manufacturer, but I sort of 
almost did that for just a fly tying material that my dad had developed, uh, bug skin. So we kind of manufactured that, and I, I represented him uh, mostly at the shows with that product over the years. Yeah, very neat. And we all know that the show season in the fly fishing world is generally January, February, and early March. What does your off-season look like, and how do you recharge your batteries after a long show season? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my dad started the uh, fly fishing show with a partner, and uh, when I took over, his partner retired, and I kind of took over his realm. And then my dad has uh, has semi-retired. He'll never retire. He loves loves being around it. And, uh, you know, so I run the whole thing. But he he continues to run the International Fly Tying Symposium, that we hold in November. So we do have one event in November. It's typically the weekend before Thanksgiving. And then we start the first weekend of January and run through the first weekend of March, a couple weekends off in there. Um, but, you know, once we finish up, you know, a lot of people think it's kind of done and it's an off season. And yes, I do take a, a day or two to, to maybe do about nothing except sit there or try to sleep in and try to try to just recover because I'm working, uh, you know, right now I leave tomorrow and I don't have another day off for three weeks and then I'll have a couple of days off and then I don't have a day off for two weeks. And, you know, so it's a, it's a vigorous schedule. Um, during show season and, and some days I'm, I'm working 20 hours a day. Um, so I take a couple of days to recover and then we have some post-show work that we need to get done. And by that time, we're already starting uh, our contracts. And in fact, I have a to-do list right here in front of me right now for 2021 stuff. So there's not really a lot of off-season to it. But I do like to get some fishing trips in, obviously. And, and you know, something like that really helps recharge my batteries. Uh, I wish we could get a little bit of, a little more remote than we can these days. But... You know, have Wi-Fi about everywhere now, so I'm still accessible. <laughs> no, I completely get it. And, yeah. And, yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, I, I understand that um, that, the, that what we all know is the fly fishing show today really grew out of some smaller shows that your father used to promote in Pennsylvania. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about kind of the pre-fly uh, fishing show days? Well, yeah. Um, it actually started... I mean, it's it's hard to say exactly. My dad took fly fishing from uh, the late great George Harvey at Penn State, and uh, you know he he was one of the greatest teachers that we may have ever had in our sport, and he learned a lot from him, and l- learned how he does presentations and demonstrations and things like that. He also owned a business. It was just a leather goods store, uh, unrelated, but because he enjoyed the outdoor sports, he attended some outdoor sports sports type shows and sold leather goods at them. So he he was an exhibitor at sporting sporting shows, and at the time there were no no fly fishing specific events. Uh, then he started through through working with those classes that he did with George Harvey and and talking with him, he decided to start this thing called Trout Masters Weekend. And 
his shop was at a ski area in Pennsylvania, Seven Springs Mountain Resort. And they had some convention space and, you know, venues there and hotel space. So he did this Trout Masters weekend hosted there at Seven Springs because there was also fishing available, um, you know, nice setting places for seminars, presentations, casting areas. And uh, uh, Lefty Cray was the, the host. He was the, uh, the lead instructor. And uh, he held that for a few years with a few different instructors. Uh, I think Lefty was there maybe every year. And he would have some, some other guys along with him that varied from year to year. Maybe Bob Clauser, I think, was there, Ed Jabarowski, a variety of different instructors. And becoming friends with Lefty during this event... Uh, Lefty talked with them, and, and my dad had the idea of making a little more of a consumer side to this Trout Masters weekend, which was was basically a limited class. I can't remember, maybe 20 people for the weekend, something like that. And so conversations with Lefty led to doing a small show at Seven Springs. And uh I can't even remember what he called that. It still might have been Trout Masters Weekend or or something of the sort. It wasn't called the Fly Fishing Show yet. And it was it was a, a consumer fly fishing specific event. The first uh, the first that we know of its kind other than just, you know, some small club get-togethers basically. And at at about the same time his partner, Barry Servienti, his, his former partner, he was starting a small show himself. And they got wind of each other and got together. And, you know, my dad's was based on a lot of presentations and a lot of learning, uh, you know, starting from the Trout Masters weekend with Lefty. And Barry's show was based a little more on the retail side because he owned a bookstore angler's art and a a wholesaler and he used it more as as sort of a a venue to grow customers and sell more product so together they they formed up the fly fishing show and had the first one in somerset new jersey 28 years ago really neat and i mean it's amazing that it's almost been around for 30 years what have you seen in terms of the changes in the consumer fly fishing shows over that time period yeah it's hard to believe it's been that long yeah seems seems only like yesterday to me uh unfortunately i missed the first event i was actually uh um racing skiing at the time at penn state and we had I, i think we were at nationals that weekend. So I missed the very first fly fishing show, unfortunately. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, there was, there's the biggest change. If you were to walk in the door, the biggest change, and I've talked to a lot of people about this recently is the ease of getting a professional booth. I mean, back, back in those days, everybody constructed their booth in their garage. There was no, there were no booths that you could just buy online. There was no online, <laughs> you know, and there was no, no digital printing that was printed on the fabric that you could just pop up in a frame and stretch around um, something that could go in your suitcase. People w- would come into the show with sheets of plywood and saws and hammers and, 
they'd be building their booth right there during the setup. Yeah, that's pretty amazing when you think about how quickly people can get in and out of a expo hall these days. Oh yeah, it's some of the, some of it drives me crazy. Guys come in and they pop up their booth in fifteen minutes and crack open a beer, and then they just start talking to you, and you're like, "I love you, man, but I got a ton of work to do." And, it irritates me that you got set up in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, too, it is, it's so much has changed. I mean, when you talk about how, how much easier it is to get a booth put up, and obviously there's been a big technology ad. You know, what do you think the biggest challenge is facing consumer shows today? Uh, you know, I'd have to say it's budgets. It's budgets in so many places where, you know, for manufacturers, for example, where their money has to go, even just the small shops, um, you know, that we're, we're faced with putting money into social media and into websites, you know, and there's still all the traditional print stuff and everything like that. And, you know, um, margins have gotten tighter, uh, product changes quicker, and then you have to close your stuff out, you know, and get the new stuff. But I think it's, so I think it's budgets really. And, you know, I talk to a lot of manufacturers, all the main companies and, you know, almost all of them say, Hey, we want to be at every one of the shows, but we can't be away from the office that long. And it's not the expense of the show. It's the expense of travel and all of that, that affects whether or not we can attend. And, you know, we got to understand that people do have a budget and, and they have work to do and they have time that they need to be in the office. So they can't always attend every event as much as they'd even like to. So I think, I think budgets are, are the big thing. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies have had to dump a lot of money into websites and social media and, you know, the tech world to come up to speed. And, it, and it's not necessarily that it, it turns around and, and gives them a return on their investment. It's just a, a bit of a necessary evil that they, they need to do to stay relevant. And do you think over time that's going to make it you know, harder and harder for consumer shows to kind of survive in the space? Or do you think there's going to always be a place for the consumer show? No, it's, it's the exact opposite. And, and what I was just talking about um, is the reason the tech world inundates us with information i mean while we're doing this interview we could be looking up every fly rod that's that's out there uh and within minutes have downloaded all the information all the specs know everything about it but what we don't get is any kind of personal interaction from it we don't get and especially in the in the fly fishing world we kind of have a personal relationship with our gear you know we want to we want to get that rod in her hand and shake it, wind the fly reel a little bit, see, see the balance of our equipment. You know, if you, you may pick out a reel that you like and a rod that you like and then put them together and you don't like the combo. So you got to switch it around. There's, there's a personal touch to it as well as all the, the art side to fly fishing, including the fly tying and things like that, that, you know, it's great to watch someone in person and say, Hey, why did you choose that material for that part of the fly and they can explain it to you. It's very important um, in the design of many flies as a fly designer. You know, I, I've tried, I've had people come up to me and be like, Hey, you know, I substituted this material in your fly pattern and I think it looks great. And I'm like, yeah, I tried that before in 
and here's why it didn't work great. <laughs> you know, and you can come up, maybe it didn't float as well as the material that you ended up with or whatever it might be. Um, so there's a lot of personal feel to it. And what happens is a lot of people get inundated with this information through looking it up through social media and we're bombarded by it. And then what we want to do is actually just get away, step away from that and talk to someone about the product. So I've found, I've seen this change over the last couple of years even. And I have found that people, most of our customers come up to me and tell me what they want to do is they want to talk to the manufacturers and see who treats them well and see who get answers their questions the best. And then that's who they're going to buy from because, you know, let's face it. If, if tomorrow we only had one brand of fly rods that existed, there's not going to be too many of us that are going to give up the sport. You know, they're all, they're, they're all great. They're all fantastic brands. You might have a favorite flex or something or a favorite model, but a lot of it is how the company has treated you if you've dealt with them. Yeah, it's interesting because that's really kind of, you know, what's old is new again. It's all about relationship and interacting with uh, your customers. Yeah, exactly. And that's what a lot of people want because not only not only because of within our sport, but because of work. Uh, a lot of people are working and you stare at a computer all day and they just they don't want to go stare at the computer to read about their fly rods. They want to go talk to someone about it. They want to hold it and they want to cast it. and you know, that's where pro shops are good. And that's also, you know, where our shows really shine because you're able to test everything and talk to everybody. You might talk to the guy that designed the rod. You might talk to the guy that's making the pack that you use. And, you know, and the manufacturer is standing there and he's able to get the feedback from you and say, oh, I love your pack, but I wish this zipper was a little longer. Or, you know, I wish instead of a zipper, it was a Velcro or something. And they could they they might hear that enough times that next year's model that's the upgrade and that's where they can get direct consumer feedback rather than just you know designing it and talking with a couple of pros that might have different needs than the average consumer no it makes a lot of sense and i think you know most people know this by now but a few years ago you took over the reins for the fly fishing show from your dad what was that transition like well i'd been working for the show basically my whole life and grew up around it. So I, I, I knew the ins and outs of it. Um, my dad is notorious for throwing, throwing people to the wolves. He's not, <laughs> not someone that trains you on something. So uh, when, when he, when you want to do some work for him, he says, here's the work, go do it and let you, let you do it the way that you want to, which can be good and bad. If you good, if you have some ideas, bad, if you, if you, need to teach yourself how to do it and it takes some extra time so there was a lot of things uh on the business side of it that i had to learn and took a lot of a lot of work and changes that i was implementing but you know the transition went pretty well he's still around like i said he's he's never going to go and he's always available if i have any questions yeah and, and what was the biggest surprise or challenge as you kind of worked through that process well Probably the biggest biggest challenge is is setting up uh, budgets and, and redoing things to account for you know additional jobs and additional things that that I put in place because he's uh, he's 
was never a tech savvy person. Um, you know, he still prefers to write someone a letter than to send them an email, although he's caved into to that necessary evil and, you know, fought a cell phone for a long time. Um, so, you know, he was someone that, that liked to handle things the old fashioned way and did a great job at it. And people actually appreciate the fact that he did that. But, you know, um, to bringing the business up to speed, there was a lot of stuff that needed to be put into place. And that was a big challenge to just get everybody reworked and rewired within the, the whole business. Got it. And, you know, can you share with us your vision for the fly fishing show and kind of where you want to be in the next five years? Well, um, you know, the fly fishing show is an event in it, you know, an event has energy and, and, you know, I I want it to be something that people think of as an event and they get excited for and they don't want to miss it. You know, something that, you know, the energy builds up before it happens. Everybody wants to be there. It does, it draws in people of every age, sex, color. It doesn't matter. We want to get together and, and learn and have a great time because those are the two primary things that, that I really want to, have at the show of course there's things that you can buy and you know all kinds of stuff that that you can look at but learning and entertainment are the two priorities for me that's that's what i can control i can't control the product that someone brings in Uh, i mean to a degree we have an application process and we really try to keep focus to our core fly fishing theme are, you know, and all exhibitors need to meet a fly fishing only catch and release theme. So, you know, we don't mind that, you know, if you eat a fish lunch at a lodge and they talk about that, I mean, it's part of it. You know, some of us, I enjoy catching and eating some fish occasionally, but we want to promote the catch and release theme and, you know, the fly fishing focus. So it's not, it's not becoming just a sportsman show. It's about fly fishing and that's what we want to focus on. So, you know, in five years, I'd say what I want to see is, and, and we've been developing this over the last number of years. Um, you see a lot more families, a lot more youth. I want to get kids started young like I did because it was an important part to my life. And I think if you ask anybody that, that started fly fishing at a young age, it, it influenced them and it teaches you a lot. You know, it's, I, I have people tell me all the time, Oh, I'm not patient enough to fly fish. And I said, well, you don't need to be patient at all. What fly fishing does is teach you how to be patient. In fact, it's more, it's way more active than throwing some bait out and waiting for a bite that you need a lot of patience for that unless they're biting like crazy. So <laughs> fly fishing, you're, you're active all the time. And, you know, and that's kind of what I want people to realize. And, and it's much more simple than most people think, but you can make it as complex as you want. And I think that's where it becomes a lifelong challenge to people. Yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit like golf. You can really kind of go in a lot of different directions and spend as much time and yeah. money drilling into it as you want to. You know, yeah, I, I don't golf, but I I can see it the similar attraction to people because you can have you could go out tomorrow and have the best day you've ever had, and then go out the next day and completely flop. Yeah, 
you know, and and that's what happens with people with golf, you know, and that and it's the it's the drive to do better that makes people want to continue trying and the fact that you're never going to really perfect it that keeps you going. And then there's also ways, you know, you can look at it in, in fly fishing. I, I always tell people that one of the biggest difference differences between golf and fly fishing is that we're also learning about our natural environment in the process. I mean, there's people that get into entomology and, they may barely fly fish, but they're really into the entomology. People can get into casting. They can get into fly tying. There's a lot of different things that you can get into within the sport itself. You know, I'm not that far into golf, but I imagine some people can get really into teaching and, you know, other aspects of it. But, you know, in the bottom line, you're not really learning about the natural environment. No, it makes a lot of sense. Can you share with us some of the things you've done during your, your tenure as the CEO of the Fly Fishing Show to put your stamp on the event? Well, um, I'd have to say the two biggest things are that I took the show to Atlanta. That was new under under my helm. And anytime you go to a new venue, it's it's a huge challenge. There's a lot more work to the first year than subsequent years. Because after you get the first year done, you have a number of things that are a little bit of uh, plug and play. So that was a lot of work. And you know, after that, I, I actually had a meeting with our team and I told everybody, I said, okay, we're not going to do any major changes except for every other year. We'll never do two major changes back-to-back years because it's just too much work and it takes away from you know, other things that we need to focus on. And I think, uh, you know, maybe a week after we had that meeting, I got a call that said, that told me the facility at our largest show, Somerset, New Jersey show was closing down. So I was forced to move our largest show the following year to Edison. So that was a big challenge and and a big move. And we ended up putting on the, the largest fly fishing show that was ever held. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because I I always ask like guides and 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 folks like that to share you know what they think the biggest misconception people have about what they do. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about the life of a show promoter? Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I get that all the time, and that is people calling me in November and saying. Hey, you're probably starting to get busy now. I wanted to catch you before you know before it gets gets hectic, and uh, and then people thinking that right after the show ends, I don't do anything until the next November. But like I said earlier, you know I'm starting on 2021. I've got I've got contracts and stuff in place for 2022, and you know we're we're working ahead it takes about two years to produce every one of our shows that you see so it's not like we we just get busy in november and work for a couple of months it starts pretty early and and that is definitely the biggest misconception because people all the time are telling me that hey i think you're getting busy now so i wanted to catch you <laughs> yeah it, it's it's funny you say that because I, I i would say um being up at the uh, at Bo Beasley's event in Virginia this past weekend, he would probably say that's probably one of his pet peeves too. Oh yeah, it, yeah. I think it, it kind of like makes you feel um, underappreciated, 
And Bo and I have talked about that before, <laughs> joke yeah. about it. But you know what I would say too, Ben, is I think it's a compliment about how well you guys do your job that people think it's that effortless, right? I, you know? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, hopefully by the time we're at a show, I mean, we're just running around putting out fires. All the all the planning should be done. You know, things are in place. And uh, the earlier you get it done, the easier it is to solve the problems because, you know, you've kind of kind of got a chance to know what to expect. And, and over the years, you know, you see the same kind of problems or the same questions. So you already have an answer. And, and sometimes people are completely flat out surprised when, you know, they present you with a problem and you give them such a solid answer. And they're like, well, I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even think you were going to be able to answer that. And, and they're surprised and they're like, oh no, I've seen that 20 times. It's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, um, I, I can't even remember. It's been so long that I've been going to your shows. But, you know, for for folks that haven't been before, can you kind of give us an idea what the general format of a, of a fly fishing show event looks like? Well, at our shows, we have uh, featured seminars, um, destination theater, featured tires. We have casting ponds with casting demonstrations. Then there's a vendor, the vendor floor with, uh, you know, exhibitors that range from Outfitters, uh, local guides, international outfitters, um, booking agents, manufacturers, uh, people starting new businesses with little, you know, trinkets, accessories, you know, fly line manufacturers, anything that you can imagine there on the show floor. So you can, you can go to shop, but like I said, the real, the real thing you want to go for is entertainment and education. And if you go there for that purpose, you'll have a good time. Uh, I think the, the, the biggest advice that I could give anybody coming into the show is to plan ahead. Look at our website, flyfishingshow.com, or under the venues that you may go to. Uh, look at the seminars, highlight some stuff, bring a notebook. Uh, you know, the people that I'm most impressed with at the show, they come in with a list of things that they want to see and want to do and want to buy. Uh, of course, you might be surprised and find some things you didn't expect, and uh, and they also have a whole schedule on their itinerary of what presentations they want to see, and you know, and when they're there, they're taking notes because it, it, there is so much to learn that you're, you're gonna. There's no way that you can remember it all. You'll forget some of the things that you learn while you're there before you walk out the door because you've you've hit like overload. <laughs> Yeah, a- absolutely. And I know one thing that you guys pride yourself on is, you know, there's kind of a general fly fishing knowledge, but you always customize the shows to to their location. And we're going to re- release this interview a little bit before the Atlanta show. Can you let folks know what you have specifically in mind for the folks down in Georgia? Well, yeah, every show is a little bit different. And there's obviously the local flair that, that's there. We have local celebrities um, but all of our shows, we have international celebrities there speaking and, and people talking about general stuff. I mean, the physics of a cast are the physics of a cast. And so someone may be talking about uh, casting technique uh, that is universal, but you could be talking about fishing the Chattahoochee River in uh, at the Atlanta show, and that's going to be a major draw where if someone did a talk on the Chattahoochee River in New Jersey or, you know, might be in one of our smaller rooms and 
that is something that could be at both shows, but it's a major, a major draw at the Atlanta show. And of course, uh, um, the folks in Atlanta, I feel like they don't even know how fortunate they are in how much fishing they have right there. I mean, you can, you could be trout fishing right in downtown Atlanta. You could fish for bass. You can fish for stripers, landlocked stripers. Um, you can fish for, you can run to the East coast. You can run to the Gulf. You can be down in the keys pretty easy. You know, you can, you could be fishing for anything from, you know, blue water to mountain trout streams to flats for tarpon within a couple hours drive. And so they're pretty lucky right there to have a lot of that. Plus it's a, a major hub for travel. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you started out 2020, you always kick off the season in Denver and you're getting ready to, to head to, uh, to Marlboro tomorrow. Um, you want to let us know the rest of the shows for the season really quickly? Yeah, well, after uh, after Marlboro, Marlboro starts starts this weekend. Um, the show opens on the 17th of January. It goes 17th, 18th, and 19th. And then we go down to Edison, New Jersey for the 24th, 25th, and 26th. That's, the, uh, that's our largest event and the largest in the world, largest fly fishing event in the world. Uh, Atlanta, we have a Friday-Saturday event. That is the 31st of January and February 1st. Then we have a weekend off, and we go to the West Coast for a Linwood, Washington, which is in the Seattle area, on February 15th and 16th. And then we go down to California, to the Bay Area, for Pleasanton, California, the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of February. And we wrap things up on the 6th, 7th, or the, the 7th and 8th, I'm sorry, uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to finish up the season. Fantastic. And if folks want to find out more about the Fly Fishing Show and buy advanced tickets, where should they go on the internet? Uh, flyfishingshow.com is our website. And there's links for tickets on there. Uh, each show has its own page with all of the information for each event. Uh, I would tell people, as I said before, to, the, to plan in advance. I can tell you I talk to tons of people every year. We get about 33% new customers across the board every year. We also have about 33% that never miss a show. So those are the numbers that I'm most proud of, which means we're maintaining customers and we're drawing in new customers. And everybody in between are people that just, you know, come as much as they can. Uh, they they try to make it, but they might have conflicts one year. And so, you know, they continue to attend them. But bringing in those new people, what I find the first year that a ton of people come in for two, three hours, and they walk in the door and they're immediately overwhelmed because there's 24 talks going on at a time you know, depending on the, the venue and they wanted to see three of them and they're all at the same time, you know, and they may be, they may be able to see them at different times on different days. Uh, they may be able to see different things if they had more time, but what they come in is they come in, they're overwhelmed. They basically walk out and they come back the next year and they tell me like that they came in like that. And they said, I'm coming back the next year and I'm coming for the whole weekend or at least the whole day, because 
that is the way that you're going to enjoy it the best. Uh, of course, you know, if you, if all you can do is make it for a couple of hours, that's great. Um, just plan what you want to do. Cause if you walk in the door, you'll be overwhelmed, but ultimately the best thing that you can do is plan to go for, for the day or the weekend. And, you know, we have on our website, there's information for hotels that we have uh, block discounted rates. That's open to the general public as well as the exhibitors. And, um, you know, we have a lot of people that, that just come and stay for the weekend and and it's a blast because you're you're just hanging out at the hotel. You may be at the at the bar in the hotel and find out you're sitting next to you know, one of your fly fly fishing heroes and you just start talking to him and you don't even realize it's him because you know, they 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 don't know what Marvin looks like. <laughs> yeah, no, I can remember buying Joe Humphreys a hamburger many years ago in Winston Salem and it's pretty cool and it's one of the one of the neatest things for the event particularly if you're a you know you go year every single year um for yeah, sure yeah for sure yeah absolutely yeah, joe's always hanging out he he loves the the public so he's someone that's always hanging out he'd be you know if he's at the show he's probably hanging out in the hotel lobby just talking to people yeah absolutely and you, you know before i let you go tonight you know when you retire from being the ceo of the fly fishing show you know, what do you hope you have accomplished and how do you want to be remembered in the sport? Well, I just like people to, to remember my contribution as far as exposing the, the sport to more people and creating a venue where education is foremost. Yeah, to you know, I want to make sure that, you know, I bring in new people to the sport and inspire them. You know, you had asked about some of the big things that I've done since I took over the helm, and you know, and obviously the the moving a venue and putting on the largest show ever held, and uh, you know, going to Atlanta, expanding our our list or our major things, but some of the smaller things that I've done is, you know, we've added a uh, a scouting merit badge program where where kids can come in in uniform, they get to come in for free if they're in uniform, they get to. Uh, you know, work towards their merit badge. And, uh, you know, the goal with that is, and in, in talking with the, the fishing committee and the scouts, we're, we don't really even care if they come in and earn a, a merit badge. We almost prefer that they come in and get so sidetracked and so excited that they want to be a lifelong fly fisherman rather than just doing a merit badge at the next club meeting. And, you know, and then the next thing they're doing is bowling or something, you know, they just, they're just doing it for, uh, for badges, but we want them to do it to become a, a lifelong member in the sport. And, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to retire having known that I introduced the sport to a new generation and also educated them about, you know, our environment and the needs and we have a lot of nonprofits that that are at our shows teaching people about, you know, the environmental concerns or whatever it might be that that challenges our sport. Fantastic! And what's the best way for for folks to uh, to keep track of the fly fishing show or to follow you on social media? We're um, on Instagram at the Fly Fishing Show, and uh, we have a Facebook page for the Fly Fishing Show itself. And uh, there's links to all of our social media on our website as well. If you scroll down to the bottom of our homepage or any of the pages really at the bottom, there'll be links to our social media. So you can find that. And the the website is uh, flyfishingshow.com. 
Awesome. And I'll drop all of that in the show notes. Well, I, I super appreciate it, Ben, that you carved out this time and probably the craziest time of the year for you. And I wish you all the luck in all of your future shows. Well, thanks a lot. I hope to see you there. Yep. I'll see you in Edison and I'll see you in Atlanta. Awesome. Look me up. Will do. Thanks a lot. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Norvice. They're racking up the miles this show season. To see firsthand the only vice that truly spins, check out their show schedule at www.nor-vice.com. Folks, thanks for listening. Without you, there wouldn't be a podcast. Please subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice or check out our mobile apps. And please leave us a review in iTunes. Tight lines, everybody. Thank you.